Awesome. Uh, so Craig preached a message last week, and uh, we're going to actually pick off where or pick up where he left off. But how good was it to hear from Pastor Craig for the first time in eighteen months? It was awesome. It was it was honestly like he never left. This is like just straight at home on the platform. Uh, for those of you that don't know, he has been in practice preaching everywhere around uh, the nation, pretty much. And so uh, it was good to good to have him back on. I'm absolutely so proud of the legacy that God's built in our church. Amen. How good is it that uh, we have our founding pastors to be here uh, with us and help us and build with us all the time. It's so good. Absolutely love it. So we're going to pick up the story. First, I want to start off with uh, a thought exercise. So I want you to imagine that we had a festive greeting like Merry Christmas, but for the events after Christmas. Like, for instance, how we say, you know, if around Christmas, if we could change it to maybe Happy Birthday Jesus or Happy Jesus Birthday, maybe. Merry Manger Day. So what about afterwards? What about after Christmas? What if we had a greeting like Baby Murder Day? Genocide of Jewish Babies Day? Or Glad They Didn't Kill Jesus as a Baby Day? Murder, genocide, cornering and killing of children is not really what we think about at Christmas, right? It's not really the, the kind of thing that pops into our minds. We, we have this picture, usually the picture of, uh, you know, the, the manger. Usually the picture, uh, you know, I don't know, back in there, there's a little, little manger with the straw. We have this beautiful image. But I want to, talk to you about what happens after this. I want to tell you a story about the first time Jesus was persecuted, or at least the first time that his life would be threatened. We're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through to 8. So if you've got your Bibles, pull, pull them out, jump to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. And it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For, you, uh, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So I want you to imagine for a minute. Ladies, that you're Mary, and guys, that you're Joseph. That you've now seen multiple angels. You've, they've come to you in dreams and, for the ladies, physically. You've heard multiple messages from God. You've been through the massive ordeal of pregnancy, trip to Bethlehem, giving birth. You're tired filled with a sense of both incomprehensible purpose because of the baby that you 
are you know, given to take care of, but also intense stress because you can't drop Jesus, right? You can't drop, you can't, you just can't drop the creator of heaven and earth, right? Like, you, you guys know that stress. When we, when we saw Hazel this week, you know that stress because Evie held Hazel for the first time. And, and like, whilst Kate, she's such a great mum and she's wonderful and she's so trusting, there's still that fear that crosses her mind when a nine-year-old is holding her little baby, right? You can't drop Jesus. There's this stress over them. Now, there's a little bit of context that you need to know as to why this story is happening and why this story is playing out. In the Jewish prophecies, it talks about Jesus coming as a king. Now, it's really important that you know that the Jewish people at the time believed and, and even to this day still believe that the Messiah would come and be a literal king to take the throne of David, which is the kingdom of Israel. That they would, that, that right here in this time, Israel is totally ruled by the Romans. And so they believed at the time that Jesus would come to physically set them free. Now, we see this exact motivation in John 6. After Jesus performs a miracle of feeding the 5,000, it says, After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So we know that from the very beginning, as soon as the, the Magi heard and as soon as the, the um, you know, King Herod heard and all of the wise priests, they thought, this is it. This is the overthrowing of the Roman Empire or at least the Roman Empire in this area. And so the context is that they're filled with fear. Now we now know in hindsight that the prophecies were meant for him to be not the literal king of Israel, but the king of the world, the creator, to set the world free, not from political uh, unrest or not from, from occupied lands, but to set us free from sin. The ultimate setting free. But all of the advisors to King Herod would have been telling him that this is the prophesied Messiah, that he was coming to take the role of King Herod and overthrow the Roman Empire in this time. So he's scared out of his mind. So now these guys, we see uh, Mary and Joseph, that you've imagined yourself as, are under attack from King Herod. He doesn't want Jesus to live and become the king of the Jews, to overthrow him. He wants to be proactive, take out the threat before Jesus becomes old enough to rule. So here we pick up the story, verse 9 through to 12. It says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when they rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now that the Magi are in Bethlehem and give these gifts to Jesus, God reveals to them in a dream, Herod's dangerous, get out of there. He warns them to go a totally different way. 
Consistently, God protecting Jesus by divine intervention. Verse 13 to 14 says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. My first thought here when I read this is, this is urgent. This is not a, this is not a get up and leave in three days kind of scenario. This is a get up and leave in the middle of the night like you're gone. If you're a father and somebody tells you, or, or you know, God tells you that someone's coming to kill your son, you're a mother and someone tells you someone's coming to kill your son, you get up and you leave, right? That's not a, I'm going to hang around for a bit. Dads, let me, let me paint this picture for you. You've all been in that half asleep mode, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, and you heard a noise outside. And you've all jumped with adrenaline fueled rage, ready to go. You may not have any fight training whatsoever, right? but you are ready to fight. You're ready to go to war at that moment because the gate is a little bit loose and it, and it you know, rattled. Right? But you're up and you're like, I'm going to, whatever's coming for my kids, I'm going to get them. Or you're ready to you know, gather the kids up if it's a fire or something and you're going to get them out of the house. Right? You've never been more awake in your life in that moment. And then you struggle to go back to sleep for half an hour because you're just adrenaline pumping. That's how how I picture Joseph. The angel says, get up. Someone's coming to kill you. And he just is like up out of bed, running around, getting everybody, grabs Jesus out of the manger. You know, like he's just running around. Jesus is probably not in the manger at this point in time. But anyway, he's probably got a bed now. Uh, You know, he's running around and, and he gets everybody up and gets out of there. That's how I imagine Joseph gathered the family and left. Verse 15 to 18 says, Where he stayed, this is in Egypt, until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he'd learned from the Magi. Then what he said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I want to ask you, here, has anybody been outwitted before? Probably by Jono. Probably, you know, when somebody, when somebody plays a trick on you, tricks you into saying something silly, you know, or they've got a really good comeback and you just don't have anything and you can't make another joke. You've been outwitted, right? I know I have. It makes you angry. That's how Herod felt. He just felt so upset that he'd been outwitted, that God had said, hey, go around. Don't, don't go back to Herod. He was embarrassed in front of the whole Roman army. Absolutely. Someone's promised to come as the Messiah. I've got my little spies going to go in there and find him for me so I can kill him as a baby. And then turns out God's intervened 
From here, Joseph hears again from an angel to tell him to go back to Israel after Herod's died. He's then warned in another dream that Herod's son and successor is also dangerous and not to go to Jerusalem, but to retreat to Galilee or Nazareth where Jesus was raised. Yesterday, uh, I'm gonna, this is going to cost me five bucks, but yesterday, Zeke and I were in the car and chatting and, he, and, and the conversation came up about how he said, I've never seen a miracle. Dad, I've never seen a miracle. And I refuted that and said, hey, that's not, that's not true, man. Like, you've seen miracles. And he goes, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, I've never seen a miracle. I said, hey, let's, let's look at Peter's life for a second. He's like, okay, yeah. I said, who was Peter before Jesus? He said, he was a fisherman. His biblical knowledge is pretty good, you know, pastor's kid. And he's, he says he's a fisherman. I said, okay. Who is he just before Jesus dies? What does he do just before Jesus dies? He says he denies Christ. Yeah, denies Christ three times. Why? Because he's scared, full of fear, doesn't want to be, uh, you know, killed like Jesus was killed or, or be a part of that. He's scared. And who is he after? Jesus raises from the dead, forgives him. What does Jesus say to him? On the rock, I will build my church. Jesus, Jesus builds Peter into this amazing character who then stands in front of thousands of people and says, no, I'm not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit and, and starts preaching the gospel. He goes from full of fear to full of courage. Peter is also the guy that walked on water. I said, what's the bigger miracle here, Zeke? Was the bigger miracle him walking on water or was the bigger miracle that Jesus, over the time that he spent with Peter, worked on his character from fisherman into fear and into courage and into the place where he would carry the church and carry the name of God fearlessly for, into his life? I said, which is the bigger miracle? As he goes, well, you know, yeah, the bigger miracle that made a bigger difference was, was Peter's life. I said, okay, God has orchestrated you to be the result of Nanny and grand, or Nana and Granddad in Queensland's 50-year marriage and Gigi and Papa's 50-year marriage and both your grandparents' 30-plus-year marriages and all of the people that are around you and all of the, the men and women and all of the people that are around you to be able to teach you and build your character over your life. Now that's a way bigger miracle than just the one that you're looking for on a day. It's like, yeah, but I want the, I want the one, I want the miracle. The biggest miracle is the one that God does over the time, not just in the moment. Yes, those things that happen in the moment are absolutely the power of God. But let's get some perspective that the power of God is bigger than one moment. It's not stored up and saved up uh, like, a, like a Dragon Ball Z character or like a, you know, where, where once the power of God is poured out, then he's depleted for a while and he's got to wait and, you know, and pour it out again. That's not our God. God's power is at work all the time. All the time. 
the Christmas miracle isn't just the only story, the evidence that we should celebrate. It's not just that, yes, uh, you know, Mary was a virgin and that's an amazing, immaculate conception and, and that Jesus is born. But that God had His hand over that family for 30 years, protecting them, building them, strengthening them. He had His hand in the way that Herod would deal with the Magi. He had His hand in every single aspect, miracle after miracle after miracle, God's working power. Orchestrated and foretold Jesus' entire life. The time, the people, the places, the events, angels, dreams, magi, kings, armies, all to line up at the exact right time for Jesus to come. So what does that mean for you? It means that God is not just a God of one event in your life. He's not just a God of salvation. He's not just a God of the one miracle that you've been praying for. And that if you don't see that miracle happen, it, you know, your, your faith is rocked. God is the God that has you sitting in this chair today or listening on the live stream today. That orchestrated those events in your life that led you here. That led you to be a part of a community that strengthens one another and builds each other towards faith. He's the God of every tiny little detail to show you that He loves you. God wants to make it personal. He wants to be in the detail. He wants to be with you every single moment. He's proved it time and time again for telling small or large details about lives in Scripture. God wants to be your friend, your God. So God's just not for, God is not just for Christmas. It's not just for the one event. God is for us to live with Him all of the days of our lives, to be free from sin and to live in His plan. God coordinated this relationship that He could have with mankind from the very beginning. He coordinated all of the events of Jesus' birth and protecting Him so that Jesus could get to that cross and take the sins of mankind. Be buried and be raised to life again. Victorious over death so that we don't have to live in death. And all of that just so that He could be your best friend. I want to give you an opportunity today that if you've never made that decision to accept God as your best friend, the Bible's really clear. All it takes 
is for us to believe in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and for us to confess that with our mouth, to, to openly say, hey, Jesus, you are Lord. That's it. Faith is the only step. It's the only step that you need from wherever you are, no matter how messy your life is right now. The only step to be best friends with God, the creator of all heaven and earth, who's orchestrated every moment up until this to have you seated here or on the live stream. Faith is the only choice you need to make. If you're ready to take that step today, to say, yes, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, would you do something brave and raise your hand? We'd love to pray with you. God, we just pray right now that each and every person here today, whether they've been you know, a Christian 10 minutes or whether they've been a Christian 20 years, God, I pray today that we're filled with this perspective that you have orchestrated such a great work in our lives, such a miracle in our lives. The fact that I'm a, alive, the fact that I've, you know, that, that I get to have joy and peace, that all of the things that are good come from you. Lord, I pray that we, we not be blinded to the miracle work that you've done over each and every one of our lives, that we would be able to see the perspective that the character shift, that bringing us closer to you, that drawing us closer to you has been the biggest miracle of all. God, let our hearts not be uh, you know, doubting or, or let, let us not dismay that we don't see the little miracles, the, the instant miracles. God, let us be filled with your perspective that we just get to be a great, a, a part of your great plan. Holy Spirit, have your way.